welcome to Estradile Illusions. Longtime listeners know that the uh, that fantasy and sci-fi shows have a special place in my heart, particularly the the '90s era was so fun. And uh, you know, people who have been listening since the beginning know that we started off this show with weekly uh, roundtable review chats about that uh, art house show, Game of Thrones. I'm not sure. Uh, I think I think people around the world have probably heard of that one, but. Uh, <laughs> And whenever I would, uh, whenever I would watch Game of Thrones, particularly the fight scenes, I'd think about kind of the the linear line uh, that uh, this this genre has gone. And and I always think about this show back in the '90s that was at, it, one of the biggest shows in the world called Hercules: The Legendary Journeys, which is one of my favorite of all time. And it's such an honor to have uh, the one of the stars of the show, my favorite, who plays my favorite character on it, Eolus. We have Michael Hurst here to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about his whole career, but he's got a new film out called Dead, which uh, I just watched, and it's uh, fantastic. Uh, but before we get into Dead, uh, Michael, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, come on, everybody. Uh, yes. Um, well, I'm here sitting in uh, New Zealand on a um, beautiful, I'd say, crisp spring morning. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the 90s uh, was the decade of Hercules for me and Xena. And, um, and in fact, a kind of a midpoint in my career with my relationship with fantasy. I think it's quite fair to say if, uh, I mean, a lot of Shakespeare can be considered kind of uh, a fantasy world, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I like what you said about the, the line of fantasy through to Game of Thrones, which, of course, I've, I've, I've kind of been involved with in terms of directing Spartacus and directing uh, Legend of the Seeker and things like yeah. that. So, yeah, um, I've been involved in it, in that and my own uh, uh, theatrical strand of my career. Um, that's what I do. That is my life. So before we, I, I'm just absolutely dying to dive into Hercules because I, it, it, I mean, it's such a, it, it's so much fun and it it's was such a great show. It was a, a decade of for me of absolute fun and hilarity, you know, hard work, but in the best way, the best sense. So yeah, it was terrific. Yeah, I, it's, and, and it, it still holds up. I, I have the, I'm thinking. Um, I live on the. I live in Los Angeles now, and I grew up yeah. on the East Coast. And uh, when I was younger, my grandma bought me the the box sets of the the DVDs. And I'm I'm just thinking. I'm remembering in my head they. Um, a lot of them would be like nine discs, and they uh, often the final disc would have a. Uh, this would be totally totally revolutionary back in like uh, the 2000s when they came yeah. out. But they'd come with a CD-ROM that you could pl- uh, put into your computer, and it would take you to the fan site. And oh, I was yeah. thinking to myself, like, there's absolutely no way that's like still around. But I would, if I, I wish I had my box set with me so I could try that. But uh, yeah, I probably got those box sets somewhere in an attic somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah uh, it, it it certainly. I think you know you say it and holds up. Um, I have to admit I haven't seen it any of them for quite some time. But I always thought that um, they got better as things do. We get you know the machine gets well oiled as you make more shows. I felt the first season was, you know, really trying to find its feet. But there was a a moment, and I think it would have been in, it was the moment that, it was around the time that Kevin Sorbo got sick and wasn't available for a bunch of episodes. And suddenly it turned into, what are we going to do? And this episode turned up called, um, Yes, Virginia, There Is a Hercules. And we all played 
the writers of the show because Kevin Sorbo had gone missing. <laughs> and suddenly we had this crazy crossover between, um, I guess you'd say we, we almost jumped the shark, didn't quite because it actually held up. But you see what I'm saying? It suddenly went into a whole other gear. And, yeah. from, and from then on, the show went into some very interesting areas ahead of its time, I think. But, a lot of fourth wall breaking. And, yeah. Uh, well, you had, I mean, there were just so many really just phenomenal comedic talent. I mean, you you provided a lot of uh a lot of the uh, sort of, I guess, levity would be the right yeah, word in a lot of the exactly episodes. It. Yeah. And there was uh, Robert Trevor who played Salmonius, who would often, we actually, the episode we watched this week was, um, I, I, I think, the, the season one finale and uh, Another Heart, or am I forgetting the, it's the one, um, it has Xena, Hercules, oh, and yeah. it's one of the few where it's Aeolus and, and Salmonius, because you that, often. Uh, that's right. It, it was the three episode episode. Uh, arc where i think that introduced xena into the whole world and then from there yeah. course, they built uh xena the series uh, up which was another fantastic uh, development out of that whole i mean you got to understand here in new zealand that time you know suddenly we had this enormous well two enormous uh television shows that arrived here with um a uh a hollywood studio mentality what i mean is they came in they looked at the place they realized there weren't really any studios here, so they just rented four or five huge warehouse factory spaces, fitted them out as studios, rented a giant, you know, gigantic piece of land, went in, put roads down, built all the external locations, three or four villages, two castles. You know, they dammed a creek to make a lake, and then they just serviced all of this with their their. Um, lighting trucks and everything. So we were a complete mini studio set up right here. And that revolutionized the entire industry over here because suddenly those, um, what are they? Those lines of efficiency, if you see what I mean, the way those things right. were run, the turnover was huge. I mean, we made hundreds of hours of, of television. And so uh, the effect on the local industry was enormous and um and for that, uh, responsible for that, were the producers, Rob Tappert in particular, um, who has since become uh, a New Zealand citizen and received a Queen's Honour. Um, um, he's uh, now uh, an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit. Isn't that cool? That is extremely cool. And yeah. when I, I went to, when I visited New Zealand, and long-time listeners, this is actually our... <laughs> New Zealand may be a small country, but we've actually, we did an episode where we looked at the state of transgender rights in New Zealand. Oh, we right. had an uh, activist uh, author, Kate Spice on, who lives in Wellington. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, New Zealand's uh, very tolerant, great uh, great place to be uh, LGBTQ. And mm -hmm. Dead, of course, has a lot of LGBTQ themes. It has, uh, it's one of, Dead, Dead has, it's one of the, uh, it's kind of an anomaly in films. It has a, uh, of the two leads, you have uh, Hayden J. Wheel, who directed, starred, and co-wrote, and then Tom Sainsbury starred and was a co-writer. But So you have uh, Tom Sainsbury as a gay man playing a straight character, and Hayden J. Wheel is a straight man playing a gay <laughs> character. You got a little bit of reversal there, but... Um, I think that uh, it it handled uh, LGBTQ themes really well, and I was kind of laughing after oh, I watched the film uh, yeah. at how 
at how um, this show, which is an LGBTQ-themed show that features our mascot is a bong-smoking pink elephant, this is a LGBTQ stoner buddy cop comedy. So I think it's pretty pretty perfect for a demographic. I really loved it. You know when I, uh, what you say? I, um, I love the way it was unassuming. That, a lot of that comes down to Tom and his delivery. But, you know, it was never like um, an in-your-face kind of hello, hello, yeah. look at this, look at this kind of way. It was thoroughgoing. Do you know what I mean in terms of the movie? I, I thought it was... I was very moved. I found it incredibly touching at the end. You know, I thought, um, you know, I, I, I was surprised because I hadn't really cottoned onto that quite that level of it in the script as you do. I'm only in the film at the beginning and in that whole uh, section, but it's, it's just, yeah, I was very moved by the film, to be honest. I think Tom's a very, well, they're both very, um, what's the word? They're very charismatic in their ways. Um, yeah, and it has another thing that reminded me. Uh, I mean, one one word that, especially nowadays, would be used to describe Hercules and Xena. They're they're both very campy uh, yeah. in, in in a lot of the humor. Um, Dead Dead was a film that that uh, Tom uh, Tom Sainsbury. A lot of his humor felt felt kind of campy, and then and then from scene to scene, you'd go for a moment where you were chuckling, and especially in your first scene, yeah was Moving. incredibly sincere yeah yeah he but tom's like that but he has that's what i like about his work uh he has a really he has that ability to, it's exactly what you say he has that ability to be you think sending up a a stereotype almost or almost but of course it it's across everything that he does it's this beautiful take on how people are in life and then and then you suddenly find you're really compelled by what he's doing, I, I, you know, I've always found that with Tom, he's actually a very good actor, very real, and uh, and he plays that fine, that comedy line really finely, I think. Yeah, and I, I was I was reading the the production notes, and uh, Hayden was talking about how they never really they never wanted to play it. If a scene was going to be funny, they weren't going to play it to to look for uh, play it for the laughs. They were going to kind of find the laughs along the way, almost. Yeah, play and, it right. Yeah, play as it were. Yeah, you know, going right right down the middle. I mean, I think you've all got to. That's a certain thing with comedy. Whatever you have to do, you have to be there one hundred and ten percent. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it will fall flat. And this movie has all the commitment you could ever want, I think. Um, you know. So, so your character Ross is yeah. a. Uh, so, so the 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 basic premise of the the film is yeah. uh, Tom Sainsbury plays a character called Dane Marbles Marbeck. He goes by Marbles for uh, most of the show. And he creates an innovative. Um, he's able to see ghosts, and they're they're not just sort of hallucinations in his mind. In his mind, he's able to tap into like the spiritual world by creating a concoction of marijuana and your character, <laughs> his his late father's neurological medication. I, I I rewound it the first time I watched it because I thought he was like making uh, opium. I didn't really know what he was doing at first. I had to kind of stop and get it. I'm like, that's you know. Disclaimer, nobody tried this at home, but I was thinking to myself, like, that's fascinating. And, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, very funny that it's marijuana and and um, pills for what, – what was his condition? He had a degenerative brain condition or something, my character. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, well, it was like 
I was kind of like laughing. I was thinking to myself, uh, particularly in uh, Hercules's fifth season, when where Aeolus he dies at the beginning, but then <laughs> you're still you're still in a lot of the episodes. It's kind oh, of like a right. different Aeolus. Yeah, I know. And, that, the, the alter ego Aeolus, you mean the other one? Yeah, yeah. They well, wanted to I mean, he, they wanted to call that character Shecky. That was the first suggestion. They wanted to <laughs> said, "Hey, let's call him Shecky." I'm like, Shecky, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was funny. Um, yes, the alter ego stuff. Yeah. They told me, the writers told me, uh, with the, just by and by, that when I first went to LA when the show was taking off, they said, one of the writers gave me a piece of advice. He said, um, if ever you start playing your evil twin, start looking for another job. <laughs> <laughs> because they're running out of ideas <laughs> of course we did that a few times yeah well it's it's kind of become um we we i cover uh in in a lot of my uh journalism i cover superheroes a lot because i read so much comic books if they need right. like somebody who who knows the stuff um and i mean that that's kind of they call i mean in, in comic books deaths are treated like a vacation basically for the character yeah. or like I, I compare it to like a soap opera, like a character needs, like the actor needs a three month break. So they just kill the character off. That's yeah, like, yeah. this is sensible, sensible, yeah. but you, you, you almost died a few times over the course of the show. He was normally brought back fairly quickly. The season five one was more of a longer term. Yeah. Thing. And didn't I come back as a, Later on, I came back as a demon. I think maybe that was the time I came back as. Well, there was there was your, you 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 had the character uh, Derek or Dayhawk. 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 Yeah. Well, you you played like you played like practically like a dozen different characters over yeah. over both of the actually yeah. over both the shows, and then also there was the Young Hercules show, and, which and started over yeah. Young Ryan Gosling. That's right, and that's right, and uh, also the movies at the beginning. I think Sharon the boatman was the, um, you know, the guy that rows the bodies across the river Hades, the river Styx to Hades, and I um, it was in a heavy, uh, heavy uh, latex makeup, and I played him like um, Jimmy Durante. I don't know if you know who Jimmy Durante was. He was a famous American comedian. He kind of talked like this all the time. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it was, um, and when I did that, they thought it was so funny. They just kept throwing different characters at me to see if I could do it. It was, honestly, it was just so much fun. Let's see if Michael can do this. So we give it a go. Um, it was just uh, like pulling all the tricks out of the bag. I was once asked how much research I'd done for the character of Eolus, and I just said, absolutely none. <laughs> 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 because it was just fun. It was just doing the stuff, you know, doing the shtick. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he really is like, um, I mean, I, I liked Salmonius a lot as a character, but I thought Eolus was kind of the, the emotional backbone. I yeah, guess, yeah. I mean, humanity and yeah. The... Yeah. And I, I mean, there were so many camp, I, I mean, I guess Kevin Sorbo would, would, would get kind of campy at times, but he was kind of more of the more serious kind of gruff. Yeah. I'm having images of his Andromeda character also, who was oh, yes. also very, very stiff, Captain Dylan Hunt. But, terribly um, serious, terribly serious, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, a lot of a lot of the work he does now is is more like that. But, I mean, 
I guess I well, well for a show like Hercules, it was such a trailblazer. I mean the the idea that I, I I'm thinking now like practically a couple every every few months or so we get like fantasy back in the '90s was more like the action adventure that had a, a, a heavy helping of comedy, and somewhere along the way it became more of like this uh, prestige TV is the term that they use oh, or. Right. Like something, something that was meant to meant to compete in the Emmys, and yeah, so you, always, you end up at Game of Thrones territory, right? That's what you're, you know. I well, think, yeah, now Spart- Spartacus and Legend of the yeah, Seeker. I think, I think kind of- books, the world of fantasy books, I think got there way before then. I mean, I remember reading when we did. Uh, did you ever? You must have seen Legend of the Seeker. I don't know if it ever got to the. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Only went for it two. Aired, uh, first run on like Sunday afternoons. Right, it went for two seasons. Line. Had a lot of potential. Now, though, they're based on um, Terry Goodkind Terry. novels, which are really brutal. You know, they're yeah, sort of truth. Uh, yeah, and and some of the stuff in there, you know, uh, either predates or is concurrent with the Game of Thrones novels, which I've never read the novels. I've never actually seen the series, to be honest. But that's a different story. Um, but um, but but in the um, but the Terry Goodkind novels, they were there, and in fact, the series um, wanted to be that. Um, I know that Rob. Tappert, who then went on to produce Spartacus and had done, of course, Hercules and Xena, and he was part of that team, and he wanted it to be as uh, adult as the novels. But I think what happened was that Disney looked at it and went, wait a second, this isn't the wizards we thought. These aren't the wizards we thought they were. These are wizards that, you know, pour molten metal down the gullet of people to get their blood and all sorts of terrible things. Right. Uh, And so suddenly the course of that... Uh, story changed uh, or that uh, tv series changed and lost its bite had they pursued it it could have been game of thrones you know what i mean it was that line was on its way back in the early 90s just didn't arrive until we got into the 2000s i don't think well so legend of the seeker was kind of an announce so I, I, the the terms in new zealand and, and for international listeners would be different in the united states what we would call um Hercules, and then also uh, a little bit before it, Star Trek: The Next Generation pioneered a format called first-run syndication Correct. in the United yeah. States, which That's means it. basically studios have the control. They sell, af- they produce the show, and then after it's made, they sell it to a, a, a network to air. And, and back in the day, this would be like uh, uh, CW affiliates, uh, affiliates of your your main like your main stations. Yeah. This is like before cable TV. And when Leg- so and and that had kind of stopped around uh, the the new millennium had had uh, a lot of that had diminished and then Legend of the Seeker was was trying to bring that back and I I, I guess it, it it you know whatever whatever creative differences between the books I mean I yeah. I, I liked the show a lot I thought Bruce Brents was uh, phenomenal to, yeah. to see that actor go from. Uh, he was in Mad Max, the, right, the second yeah. one, the road, road Warrior. He was also in The Matrix Revolutions. He plays the uh, subway subway conductor. Phenomenal yeah. actor. I, I thought it was a fun show. I, I liked it a lot. It was. I think it disappeared. I think the problem was it just became um, – the, there was a constant uh, tug between between getting a story that had enough bite to, to sell – but which also didn't offend everybody's sensibilities. It was just before we went to, in fact, you know, the HBO and all of those channels that really started opening up what you could show, what you could put on screen. And this sort of fell between those 
cracks. And in the end, there were so many, you know, different names of things to explain away things you couldn't show. And you ended up just with just scripts that were just full of, you know, you know, names of wizards of this and, you know, rules of that and swords of this. And, you know, it just became a terribly complex script, I think. Well, the series, uh, the the book series is is very complex. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. for me that's a problem with a lot of these uh, series. You know, I in the terms of novels, you know, by the time you're looking at volume ten, like the Wheel of Time, if we're really going to talk right. about this, you know, I just go, well, God, give me a break. How much more can I take? I think you've got to be very discerning these days to get really good fantasy and really good science fiction. Um, well, I think it. I think a challenge for something like Legends of the Seeker, and this is a question, a sort of broader question, I wanted to to ask you about as it relates to, like, for a show like Hercules, you're yeah. you're kind of it's a it's a massively popular show that obviously has uh, tons of regular viewers, but it's it's designed to be very welcoming to new time view, like yeah. uh, first time viewers, like you're. There, there's a kind of balance of of continuity here, and there are a couple episodes where they they heavily, especially when recurring characters come back and they reference their previous episodes. But um, you know, this is something it, nowadays that kind of storytelling has kind of fallen more to the wayside in mm-hmm. favor of big, bigger, long form yeah. narratives that yeah. that uh, you know you're, you and I, I some of that has to do with the fact that you know. Netflix makes it so you don't have to be at your seat in a specific place in time. You can start episode one whenever, whenever you want. It, Quite, it's different. Yeah. And also, I'm going to say this also, the, the size of the, the technology, the, the sheer crystal clear images you can get. We used to joke when we would shoot, when I was directing Hercules and Xena, we would we'd do a shot and then someone would say, oh, we've got to go again because there was a tiny little thing out of place in the background. And my joke would be, oh, no, don't worry about it. Um, a 12-inch screen, black and white trailer home, you know, joke. You know, they're not going to notice it you know, on a 12-inch screen. <laughs> and then we suddenly realized that now it doesn't matter where you are, you've got a, you know, 40-inch screen or, you know, and it's, it's yeah. HD and it's – so that doesn't watch anymore. Um yeah, that story that everybody uh, that has allowed people to to get into the world of the things they're watching, you know. So you're right, long form stories, um, complicated storytelling, storytelling in reverse, time jumps, um, alternate, all of that stuff is now becoming commonplace. Right. Stuff which has been in, I think, in in writing uh, for a lot longer. Of course, that's what happens. You know, writing always comes first, I suppose. Well. Her- Hercules and Xena were very revolutionary for uh, both shows had a um, fairly sizable sort of roster of recurring characters that, that you right. shared. Uh, Kevin Smith's Ares, Aphrodite, right. Callisto, all sorts of those people. Um, nowadays, they make huge, e- even like uh, in-, in cinema with what Marvel's doing, what DC's doing, mm-hmm. like this this whole idea of, of connected universes is... Yeah. You know, they're saying like, oh, this is like the first time people are I, I've seen people like when Marvel signed the Netflix deal, they're like the first time these the, there's this big interconnected universe of shows. I'm like, well, Hercules did that first. Well, actually, if you really look at it, there are shows in the early 60s, uh, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres. Um, they all crossed over. They were comedies. They were U.S. Uh, comedy sitcoms. Yep. You know, and they all crossed over. Their worlds collided. Um so it's not a, you know, you're looking, gosh, you know, 
I suppose you could say that about the universal uh, monster movies of the 30s, you know, Son of Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets yes. the Wolfman, ending up with Abbott and Costello, you know. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Those things are always mined for um, for stuff. I mean, if you look at Hercules, Xena, which came, sprung out and then got its own arguably uh, more, more um, what's the word, more revolutionary because there yep. was um, a very um, – Obviously, obviously understated relationship between uh, Zena and Gabrielle, which which fired up this enormous um, fan base of um, gay women. You know, it's like it's a huge fan base, and we go to conventions all the time for Zena, where that you know they they just they just keep it going because for them it was I think one of the first times that that had ever been a buddy, basically a buddy movie. If you look at Hercules, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid came to our, when we were first shooting the movies, we did four movies and then they decided to do a fifth movie because they liked the chemistry between Kevin Sorbo and myself. And the fifth movie was a reference movie to all the previous four adventures, but held together with this thin storyline uh, in which we got to do comedy shtick the whole time. And if you watch that fifth movie, I've forgotten what it's called now, Hercules and the Minotaur or something, The Maze of the Minotaur, uh, it's yeah, full of right. all the comedy gaffes, comedy falls, um, double takes, which eventually became our relationship, which is one of those relationships, you know, goofy, funny, a buddy film. Well, Xena did exactly that, but it's two women. And at the time, that was right out there with, you know, um, so in that sense, yeah, revolutionary. Um, but in terms of um, peopling the world, what I found the strangest thing of, of um, Hercules, I don't know if it was the same in Xena in terms of storylines, were the times when we had to do an Easter show and suddenly here we are in ancient Greece, pre-Christian Greece, telling a story with a baby and a star and people following the star to the birth of this baby. And I'm yeah. going, but hang on a minute. Sir, it's an Easter show, so we're going to have <laughs> not an Easter show, a Christmas show. Sorry, um, uh, yeah, we're going to have the the birth of Jesus, but he wasn't born yet. Doesn't matter. <laughs> well, Hercules would also reference uh, popular culture a lot. I think it was Aphrodite was like a clear California Valley oh, yeah. girl. Oh yeah, um, yeah. They would off or, or Salmonius frequently had a lot of inventions, which were just plays on sort of things of that would come. Thousands yeah. of years later, but uh, yeah, and that was that was the fun of it. I think I think well, Zena Zena opened the door. I mean, in the in the nineties, there was basically no LGBTQ uh, representation yeah. mainstream. Like the the big moment, and actually one that we've mentioned a couple times in recent episodes. We've done a couple uh, that have looked uh, toward the past, but uh, the Ellen DeGeneres sitcom episode where she yep. came out was yep. like caused a, a mainstream uproar. Like if, if Zena and, and Gabrielle had come out, that she would probably would have been the end of the show. Do you reckon? Uh, I don't know. Even, maybe, uh, maybe that is, yes, you're probably right. It, it was the, um, I guess what I meant about the obviously, un Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Unspoken, well, yeah it's, saying it was clearly there. And, and I know the producers yeah, played on it. Subtext. And there's a whole lot of levels to it as well, uh, because then when, when we started, I mean, I think in one later episode of Xena, I turned up as a CNN reporter, um, and, <laughs> you know, to to try and figure out what it was like for these two. And of course, they had no idea about what the cameras were. Lucy, I remember constantly looking at the camera like it was an alien, 
very strange places to walk. Um, and I did another one. I directed one of those called A Day in the Life, which was the unglamorous side of um, Gabrielle and Zena. And, um, you know, we were doing things like having them in um, in a, what it really was a spa bath, you know, a great heated bath and making all these jokes, including my favourite of all, which is we made this up on the day, which was um, you're so competitive. I'm not competitive. You are. I'm not as competitive as you are. I'm way less competitive than you. <laughs> no, you're not. Yes, I am. Anyway. So I, I had a question that, that you'd be able to provide a lot of commentary with both as an actor yeah. and as a, as a director on a lot of these action shows because mm-hmm. – you know, every time I covered Game of Thrones for years and years, and every time at the end of the season when they do one of those big battles, it would cost, you know, yes, over $10 million. Yeah. I would always, like, think to myself, you know, like, it, this is historic. It's great to see television give this kind of budget, this kind of attention, mm. you know, not just limiting it to the big screen. But, like, so so for Hercules and Xena, pra- every episode – you you had to stage a fight scene. You had yep. to supply. You know, nowadays big battles are typically reserved for, you know, special moments. They get a lot of advertising in advance. They're kind mm-hmm. of only a couple times a season. You guys mm-hmm. had to do that every single episode. Yeah, yeah, we did. We had a crazy schedule and and a crazy. Um, one of the things that I often say about that time is that at one point the. New Zealand dollar was worth 48 US cents or something. So there was a lot of money around to be able to afford the the cost of basically personnel to do things like that. So, um, and it wouldn't matter. We'd often have g- getting stunt people to, um, to turn up and be the people we beat up who are the same people with different masks on every single time. Uh, and some of those guys, <laughs> I still work with them. And some of them have now become really world famous stunt coordinators, working on Mad Max, the new Mad Max films, working yep. all over the place. Um, we still see each other. Um, so getting that was okay. It was when we got into things like, but you have to understand the, the investment. So the company bought a shipping barge, you know, that would carry gear across the harbor. They bought it gutted it, reclad it so it looked like a Roman or ancient ship, and then we could literally sail it out onto the harbour and shoot it. And then I did an episodes of Xena where we had to have one Roman galley um, attack another one. So we got another one, and we had two of them on the edge of the water, and I staged that for one episode. <laughs> wow. um, hundred, a hundred stunt players... Uh, rain machines, all the rest of it. So the thing is, we could achieve it because we could throw the money at it. We could throw the personnel at it. And um, and that's what we could do. And the order of the day, you're exactly right, was, you know, these things always start. There's a teaser. There's um, there's always a slight uh, elevation of, of expectation at the end of every act. And at the end of act two, there has to be an action sequence. And at the end of the fifth act, there has to be the big action sequence. That's how they were structured all the time. Yeah, well, the the episode that we watched last week, I paused to check the the, the time. Within the mm. first 15 minutes, there had mm. been three action scenes. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what show nowadays would even attempt this? Well, like, it's... 
Yeah, it's true. Not many. Um, we, yeah, not many because it's it's a different yeah different rate of of play. People are more interested in. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, um, uh, Power Rangers. Oh yeah, and I'm fan. about I'm Love about that. to go and direct some of that at the end of this year, and that's something I've never done before. And I'm quite interested in that idea because they have an extraordinarily strict recipe because their fans, it's been going for so long now, they have middle-aged fans who are very opinionated about how those shows work. I, I've, I've talked, I've, I've seen them at convention. I, I was one when the show first came out. So I was, <laughs> I, I grew up, I grew up with it. Right. Um, I never yeah. watched it. So I'm going to have an interesting time. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, that that's another show that's really kind of uh, honored its own. Con- they bring uh, original characters back all the time, all the and time. you're thinking to yourself, like, this is a show for this is a show for children that does does have to uh, pay homage to the uh, cast. I mean, they do a lot of action scenes too, and uh, it, it's just always so impressive to 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 see that kind of. Uh, well, I should say with with that show though, the action scenes. The things that are done with the Power Rangers in their suits and the giant. Yeah, the Japan. Yeah. All shot already. So we get that and then we have to integrate certain angles and then there's a lot of other stuff. So I guess they get best use of time, do they not? Um, right. You know, yeah. when, you're, when you're doing a show like Hercules or anything I do now with action, the action. The, one of the things with Hercules and Xena was that it was easy to fall into the trap that because we were so fit, certainly Kevin and I, I know Lucy was pretty fit and and, um, and Renee, we could do those fights from beginning to end in almost one run sometimes, you know. So we could go in there and we could put the two cameras up um, and do two runs, shift the cameras between two runs of that fight, even if there were six opponents, eight opponents, whatever it is, we could get the fight in you know four setups or five setups now the director is often tempted to think right we'll just save that till the end of the day and then we'll just bash it off at the end of the day which of course can lead to mistakes and injuries or whatever but the thing to understand is that once we'd shot those four setups the rest of that fight went to the second unit and so they were following up the next day with people that looked like us doing all the fall uh, falls and impacts um, the stunt guys that, you know, anything that wasn't our faces was on second unit. So that does make a difference. And these days having a second unit is very expensive. Yeah. I, I was thinking you're, when, when you, when you mentioned Power Rangers, another one that I was thinking of, um, uh, Arrow, the stunt scenes were very impressive. That had, yeah. uh, Manu Bennett, who yeah. you directed in, yeah. uh, Spartacus. Yeah. Uh, I always with with Spartacus and I, I guess also Legend of the Seeker. If, if you're if you're drawing a line from Hercules in fantasy, uh, kind of somewhere after Xena Xena ended, there was this kind of the the humor in a lot of it. Like Spartacus, is a very serious show, and yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. Stars was trying to you know hype it as as their kind of uh, prestige thing to yeah. to attract. Yeah. Awards attentions, but like um, I was thinking of uh, other shows you directed, like uh, Jack of All Trades. Oh, yeah. There was also um, uh, well, Beastmaster. Yeah, the Jack That's of All Trades was just insanity. That was just an insane. Uh, that was hilarious, hilariously funny and insane. 
because it was such new territory, such craziness that the storylines were extraordinary. Mm. Um, and um, I, I enjoyed that a lot. It was a pity that didn't go on. I thought that could have gone on for quite yeah. a while. But I think stars were re- – I think – no, not stars. Who was it? It wasn't stars. It was um, – they were retooling anyway. That was the whole shift from, as you pointed out earlier, the shift from that um, syndicated television. That was all shifting right at that time. A lot was going on. And so, so when I saw the first episode of Game of Thrones, which I saw when it first aired here, I'd just been directing that day, in fact, some big episode of Spartacus. Now, you say drawing a, a line of, and I looked at Game of Thrones and I went, oh, well, it doesn't look as interesting as what we'd been doing. I might have been feeling pretty arrogant that day. I don't know. But <laughs> Game of Thrones took a while to start to get started. And then by the time it got underway, I kind of felt I'd been there. And the, the kind of graphic nature of the violence, I'm not, I know Game of Thrones had way more money thrown at it and became this huge juggernaut. But it's interesting how the seeds of that were in that Spartacus kind of, um, and the seeds of that were in 300, you know, the movie 300 right. with all that studio that sort of stuff. So the the seeds, they're always reinventing things which are basically sort of the ancient myths, aren't they, Hercules? I mean, you know, Game of yep. Thrones is, is that story with all its brutality in place and there are dragons. I, I personally... When I, we tried to watch it in lockdown, my uh, wife and I and my mother-in-law, we said, right, we're going to watch it. And I thought, all right, then I'll have a look at it. But I only lasted for the first season. I got into about four episodes of the second season, and I guess it had passed me by. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Um, another another big uh, show that it, it was – I think it may have been filmed in Australia, not New Zealand, but it, it starred uh, – uh, Peter McCauley, who played Odin in a couple of Hercules, right. it was called Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World, which I have the the box sets here, and I like to watch that one a I've lot. I've never uh, seen it. What's it like? I've never seen so, it. So it, it's definitely just completely inspired by Hercules because they film so much in. I mean, the 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 beauty the beauty of 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 Hercules to in in, in sort of the modern era is. Like you just mentioned, three hundred. Three hundred was filmed basically entirely on a green screen. Whereas you, you, you have the most beautiful, uh, one of the most beautiful landscapes in the world in in yeah. every episode. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we see that now. This thing I'm doing now, Mystic, which is um, a BBC and there's a New Zealand company, Libertine Pictures. It's um, it's horses. It's the Mystic is a is a dream horse. It's a it's a sort of family viewing thing. Fantastically smart script. But every shot, you, we're out west where we shot Hercules and Xena. Every, every shot is full of this gorgeousness. Um, and I think audiences, in especially overseas, and I know there's another show here called uh, Broken Wood, a, a sort of a, modeled on a kind of detective, murder-she-wrote type show that's uh-huh. shot here. God, in France and England, they love it top rating show because they can't get enough of the landscape <laughs> amazing <laughs> well there was there was a time when power rangers it switched hands it was um yeah. the original owner uh, saban entertainment sold it to disney and and That's it right. uh, uh production had moved to new zealand and then the original owner bought it back and i guess they they moved it out but i i 
in my own head, I, I know it's expensive to get things there as you were talking about mm. the, the big ship that you had mm. to buy, but like, I, I, I just, and, and, and I, you know, I, I am saying this as a person who, when I went to New Zealand, my way of seeing the landscape was I booked every Lord of the Rings tour I could get. <laughs> and that was that was how I saw the landscape, oh, uh, which I thought was, uh, some people would be like, what a nerd. And I'm like, they're like, why don't you just go see the, the outdoors? I'm like, that's, that's, I'm combining them. I'm multitasking. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course you are. And it's just, it's such a beautiful country. I'm thinking to myself, if you have the option to film in New Zealand, why wouldn't you? Like, I know Vancouver is a very popular alternative to LA. Well, I think there's a uh, lot, a lot shift. We're, we're experiencing an enormous upsurge of activity here because of the whole COVID-19 thing. Uh, you know, we, that second lockdown that we've got into, we're just about out of because we jumped, the government jumped on it. They're, I think they're being fantastic here. And, um, and of course, you know, uh, the leads in Mystic have just been brought in. They'll go through their quarantine. They're going to be here for a long time because they want to, this is a place that they feel they can shoot. And now everybody, there's a, there's a huge upsurge here. So people want to shoot here. Once they get here in New Zealand, you can, it's not that expensive once you're here. It's you just have to base here to, to, to be able to take advantage of the whole country. And that's what they do. And now we're running out of studio space. We're running out of crew. You know, people have to be brought in. So we're in a kind of enviable position at the moment. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about how, um, with, uh, with, with dead, how, I was reading, I mean, it's, it's nice for a lot of countries. Like the U S doesn't really need to offer tax credits for films to shoot. I mean, some States do like yeah. a lot of filming yeah. now happens in uh, the state of Georgia. Um, but, but you know, to have, to have New Zealand, uh, to have the state. So, I mean, the country is so supportive of um, independent filmmaking to yeah. see, I saw that dead, that dead was a hundred percent, uh, privately uh, financed. Absolutely, which was, yeah. uh, and everybody's committed really to cool. it. You know, we're all we're all committed to the industry here because uh, that's how we we grow. And so, um, and I think there's a big shift coming because, of course, same in the theater and the in the live entertainment industry here. You know, theater around the world has taken such a huge yeah, hit, and of course here. We, we still can gather um, in groups of 100 or more and we can, I mean, I've just, as I said, I've just been touring the, I'm probably the only actor in the world that's just done a national tour of anywhere um, with, a, with a show that I was in. It's just me in the show. Um, but, you know, because we're literally not going to be able to get enough people over here all at once because we can't, we have to be, have secure borders like everywhere else should be. Um, we have to look to our local industry. And suddenly, for example, the, the Auckland International Arts Festival that was going to be happening in, in March next year will still happen, but there'll probably only be one or two overseas um, acts allowed to come in here because when you bring a show over, you have to bring a whole lot of people. So... I, so now, of course, all that attention, all that funding is looking at the local industry. Thankfully, that's fantastic because now we all get a chance to, you know what I mean, to start building it up because that's we're still a young country. We still need to do that. So interesting time. Yeah, to I, well, it's it's great to hear that the, you know, the, the uh, 
stage community, the acting community there is so, uh, I mean, you're, you're being responsible, but also like ensuring that, uh, you know, they say the show must go on. And even during COVID, you know, once, once everything's controlled safely, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, can, you've gotta... we can move ahead. And in terms of the films, you know, of course now we've just had a rush of films released here because we can't release the films, you know, companies aren't releasing big international companies aren't releasing their movies on screens at the moment because people aren't going to the movies. So We've suddenly right. had a, a, a whole bunch of uh, New Zealand films, including Dead, uh, suddenly hit the um, hit the market here, which is great. And so the profile goes up. And as soon as the profile goes up and people understand that these films are good um, and not – one of the big things we have here is um, – or used to have here, it's changing – is, oh, if it's from here, it won't be as good as if it's from over there, over there being Britain or the US or whatever – Right. Of course, that's not necessarily true, as we all know, and it's changing, and um, but still needs to be given that that um, support. So that's also happening in the in the film industry. So many projects are being made. The policy from the the bodies here, like the Film Commission, who give gov- government money, public money to these things, has been recently that a lot of smaller investment get a lot of people generating their projects and generating energy. And I think that's paying off, actually, um, as long as they can follow through now with supporting the, those people as they hit their mid-career. That's where the issue becomes um, tricky because where does that money come from and so on. Right. Yeah, I mean, in terms of international film, mm-hmm. uh, especially during COVID, well, I mean, we've been as so many people, as so many studios have shifted to more video on demand releases. Yeah. I mean, I get probably like fifteen to twenty requests a day, but uh, from from people who, who who follow my reviews or the show, yeah. and they they come to me and they're asking, you know, I, I'm stuck, I'm stuck in uh, lockdown. What, what do I watch? I'm kind of like I've, I've burned through uh, everything on my thing, and I, I've always been saying like. I have been using this time to watch a lot of movies from like the thirties or the forties that were always, I was thinking of watching and just hadn't gotten around to. But when I'm not doing that, I like to watch international films. Cause if you can't go outside, you know, you can watch something that takes, like I live in LA. I don't really want to watch even, I can't go outside, but I'm not as incentivized to watch something from, I mean, I want to take the opportunity. It, it makes me, I guess, it, it's been uh, positive for uh, my own me- mental health to step outside your comfort zone and watch something in a different country because yeah, it, yeah. it, it makes you feel like you're traveling without actually living in a country. <laughs> I get it. You know, but I'm, I'm a bit more what you earlier said. I, I actually went down and started watching a whole bunch of old movies I hadn't seen, you know, for ages or, you know, ha- had not looked at. And, and uh, that was pretty That was pretty cool. There was some... some um, uh, Citizen Kane, for example, having a good look at that, you know, and and think uh-huh. like that, and that was quite that was quite cool. Um, but oh god, you know, I, I, if I'm not working, I go mad. <laughs> I just go mad. <laughs> uh, I've got to be doing something yeah, that... because it's creative. You know, it's a creative thing. My whole life is about creative, so uh, and that seemed that's the thing I have that I do. So. Yeah. So in the in the past week, it's been uh, a real. Tr- I, I, I will admit, I was as soon as this show got booked last week. <laughs> I, I mean, we 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 get get we get directors and stuff. I was so giddy about having. I was smiling later a couple hours after it had, it had been booked, and I'm like, hey, Michael Hurst is coming on my show. I I love Viola so much. <laughs> 
but as I was as I was looking through all of your other uh, your filmography, you've worked with so many people from Hercules again in your career. Oh yeah, from Lucy Lawless yeah. or uh, Kevin Smith, yeah. Bruce Campbell. Yeah, uh, and that's why it's great. As as a fan, it's really great to see that you keep in touch with those. I'm mean, not that it matters. Like I, I don't need to know who you're friends with now to go enjoy the old show. No, but no, in some no, way, no. It but makes, it's, but it's it, nice. It, but you know, the, the thing about this because it look, you got to you know, here we were in New Zealand in the 90s, just emerging on an international scene. I mean, obviously people knew, you know, but still the guys from America, the producers from uh, Renaissance came down, weren't even sure that they could do it here, but they took a punt and they put the the thing. We weren't allowed to edit um, Hercules here. We had to go back to LA to do that because they weren't sure we even had editors that could do it here. Of course, later they realized we did. So here they are, an outpost of Hollywood, basically, or, or an outpost of Universal Studios, and um, loving it. And we became a really close-knit group of people. I mean, you've got to remember, it was like eight years, seven and a half years of my life for me, from beginning to end. Um so, yeah, and we do keep up. We are friends. And, of course, you know, Lucy lives here. With Lucy and Rob live here. So, we, um, you know, Lucy and I knew each other from way before Hercules and Xena. So, yeah, it's quite close. I've just been in touch with Renee uh, O'Connor, and she's doing um, a lot of theatre. And, of course, the thing is we've all had families. I mean, it's, it's a very it's – a, it's, a, it's a tightly knit group, which is a great thing. Yeah, and um... – you went back and uh, directed uh, when one. Of, I, I remember exactly where I was when I when I read the news that uh, the Evil Dead was being yeah. made into a TV show. Ash yeah. vs. Evil, because it's it's one of those things. I mean, I guess nowadays with revivals being more common, yeah. um, like they 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 pop up. But in 2015, I, I saw that and I I, I I went to check the source immediately because I'm like, this has got to be bullshit. And yeah, then that was. That was a very funny time. You know, when we did that, that was another stars uh, thing, I, I think. Uh, yep. Because I'd done um, Spartacus, and some of my, my episodes are pretty brutal, and I remember having this uh, email conversation where um, one of the executives, she said, um, she wrote me this email saying, it's great to have you on board, Michael, and love your work, and we're thrilled, and we want you to make this, help us make this the most brutal outrageous half hour of television ever right so i email back can i throw a baby into a deep fryer (laughs) (laughs) and she came back with what are you thinking of course not so i said well at least we know uh, where the where we draw the line (laughs) but yeah well I wanted to get it right. In the end, I just threw this guy into a deep thrive. That's different. Um, but, that, yeah, that was a very funny time. That was, uh, that was hilarious. Working with Bruce on that, wow. He's a very funny guy. And uh, Yeah. yeah. Atollicus has – it took me for – I think I probably mispronounced his name for like a solid 10 years before I learned what it – I mean, they say the name too. I don't know why I was Atollicus. mispronouncing it. Yeah, Atollicus. Atollicus. Yeah, they they those episodes were so fun. Um, I mean, the the some of the, the the there's at least one episode. There might be two where he and Salmonius have to dress as women, which is a trope. That, yeah, uh, yeah. I think is well. I mean, thankfully, that that whole <laughs> twanky thing that I did was um, 
was extraordinary that they bought that. You know, I don't know if you saw those episodes uh, where um, I'm, I play the widow twanky and teach Hercules to dance right. calls and fancy free. So I was doing that in an Eng- in a show that I'd written for kids, a, a British kind of pantomime show playing the widow twanky. And um, this producer, Liz Friedman, she came and saw it and she went, sir, we got to do that in the show. And I said, look, Liz, this is a pantomime. This is not an American tradition, you know, like, do you know what pantomime is where the right, the, yep. the the man is always the mother and the the boy the principal boy is always played by a young woman it's just one of those things a theater it, thing yeah it's not actually drag it kind of is but it isn't because you're not really anyway uh-huh. it's funny plus i was using my mother's english accent from the north of england and i said i don't think this is going to work and she went we got to do it so we put it in i'm dressed as a as this <laughs> female dance instructor hilariously pretending that fighting is like dancing so trying to get Kevin Sorbo who's the biggest hunk around who had no real understanding of what was going on uh, to (laughs) to pretend that I'm Eolus (laughs) even though I you know what I mean it was a really weird time very funny and it rated really well so she came back she came back two more times that character and um, and that's the character that I go to Xena conventions with. They love to see, even though she never appeared in Xena, and I only appeared fitfully in Xena a few times. I directed a lot of them. Um, I do these interviews as the Widow Twanky, and my wife Jennifer interviews me, and I spend the whole the whole time asking how <laughs> how her amazing husband Michael is and putting her down it's very funny (laughs) (laughs) saying you know oh hello love my the years haven't been kind to you have they (laughs) that sort of thing very funny that's great i i think you'll actually uh if if the united states can get the coronavirus under control i think you're supposed to be in los angeles in april that's true that we are we were hoping to be there well we would we would have done it this year and um we look forward to that because um there's something about the kind of understanding, I think. There's a healthiness to it. It's, it's. I know that we're there for the celebrity purpose of it and people want to see us. At the same time now, with Xena and you know, those conventions, it's been so many years, there is a familial feel. We know people that we recognise and say hello to and have drinks with who are fans that have become, you know, within that slightly closer circle. It's it's kind of wonderful, to be honest. Um, and... Um, and we get to do things, you know, I get to do, try things out, songs or performance things. So, yeah, conventions. I hope they keep up. I really hope the States gets it together. You know, I really hope they do. That's It's a tr- difficult trying time, not for this conversation, I know, but gosh, you know, from here I watch it. It's like watching, I don't know what it's like watching, Fall of the Roman Republic. There's something going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, um, there actually, there was uh a fairly uh, so I live in Long Beach, which is about thirty minutes from downtown LA. Prop well without right. traffic, but um, we have a convention which attracts generally some some big talent. And I, I've gotten to see a lot of people who mm-hmm. acted in in shows that I loved, and mm-hmm. it, it's great to get. I mean, and and it, it's always great when when uh, the the actors are as you're describing, like very uh, friendly and yeah. eager eager to kind of interact but uh we we would have had one i think this coming weekend that was postponed and and Um, that was uh you know it's a bummer because you miss it and uh you know it's one of those things you you take for granted and uh then mm. then you really start to miss it when it's gone 
Um, as we as we sort of start to to wrap up, I had one question that I wanted to pick your brain on right. because it's some it's something that as as a film critic and as somebody who covers television, like the hardest thing in the world is to craft a satisfactory finale. And I know that Hercules was uh, sort of cut cut short on the the sixth season was only eight episodes but i do think that the 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 finale approach of you know it, it doesn't the status quo is not really disrupted he almost he doesn't die for like the fifth or sixth time at the end no. uh, there's kind of a the final scene of you two walking off into the sunset yeah so uh, th- there's kind of a big argument of like, do you, you know, go out with a huge bang or do you give fans the uh, sort of comfort that uh, these characters are, are going to go, going to be okay and uh, maybe they'll come back someday. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I, for me, in terms of the Hercules thing, um, I think we definitely did the right thing because uh, in reality, the golden adventures that they had together, weren't they fabulous, will always live as a bubble of memory. And so for me, I think that perpetuates, you know, that's why in the Greeks, you know, the, the actual Greek myths, Hercules uh, ascends and becomes one of the gods. And, um, you know, they're these things that they're sort of perpetuated in that nostalgic kind of way, because, in the end, the heart of Hercules was always, and we used to talk about this all the time, Hercules was always good. You know, he Kevin used to get, you pointed it out earlier, he used to have to play the straighter sort of, you know, regular guy. And he used to, I had a lot more fun, I suppose, um, because I got to be quirky and do all sorts of weird, stupid, mortal things. Um, but the, the heart of Hercules was always about a good heart, having a good heart. And I think that yep. fits that sort of end. We could have had Hercules die of the poison of Nestor and then have his, in fact, in, in history, supposedly his nephew Aeolus burn him on the pyre. Um, but whether that you know, would, <laughs> would have flown for the fans, I don't know for anybody. Oh. And, and I'm not sure it's about whether they'll come back or not. And maybe they will. There's already been, there have been two films made of Hercules since we made that television series. You know, uh-huh. so there are who knows how many more versions will come. There's versions of everything, aren't there? King Arthur. I mean, you look at um, Wonder Woman. I keep saying to Rob Tappert, why is that not Xena? Because it actually is Xena if you look at her, you know. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. I was actually reading Wonder Woman earlier today. Yeah. So I'm looking at that and I'm going, where's the reboot of Xena? Because of the two shows, I have to be honest, I think Xena's more likely to be rebooted just but then again what story do you tell in in 2020 you know or 2021 it's different now it's 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 20 years ago since since those times and they're different you know the the fact that Zena and Gabrielle are both women cast in that mold heroic kick-ass heroes uh is not you know it's not as um uh, outrageous it's not as groundbreaking yeah yeah as it used to be so the story and if you really want to tell a story with heart you have to actually have that central thing or uh-huh. it just becomes nothing you know and that you know uh, and we see a lot of dramas fall by the wayside don't they because because they their central characters don't the story isn't there i mean story is everything well, I mean, that's also, I mean, so both the shows ran for six seasons. Hercules had the five movies before, so that's, I mean, kind of like seven seasons. Uh, 
I, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, it, it's a show that, I mean, you could have continued to tell stories for a couple more years after, yeah. but it, it's hard to, it's hard to find a show that, that really has a great seventh or an eighth, ninth season. Yeah, they so, I, eight seasons. Is, and, you know, I was always amazed at the contortions that they would pull to get the storylines that they got. I mean, a hundred and something episodes of Hercules, that's a lot of TV, man. And the stories would go everywhere, you know, uh, all credit to the writers talk about inventive holy moly yeah that's uh mm. well it's 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 such a fun show and to, to listeners who are maybe only familiar with with xena because i know it's so big in the lgbtq community you gotta check out hercules they're both uh they've aged really well they're a lot of fun uh my partner who didn't watch them i i grew up i i was watching tv like tv that was too mature for me at a very young age. It's probably warped. It's probably why I am the way I am. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, they're, they're just so, they're just so fun. And uh, oh. this is, it's been such a just fun, fun conversation. Oh, this okay. is really, it, it's a so much. I, thank you so much. Mike. Oh, you're so welcome. Oh, I've, enjoyed, I've really enjoyed it. I could go on for ages. Isn't it funny? You just find suddenly the hour is gone. You think, Oh my God, we, you know, but that's, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And and to everybody, I, I highly recommend uh, Dead, which is I, I I'll have the exact release date uh, yeah. in the the episode description. Um, it'll be on video on demand. I think either next in about two weeks. Uh, it's great. It's it's really a perfect uh, perfect quarantine. It's a feel good comedy yeah. with great LGBTQ themes, uh, great locations, a lot of heart, a lot of sincerity. Hmm. Really, uh, it did such a great job. Great. And uh, to my, Michael, thank you so much for uh, coming on. And to all our listeners, uh, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. See you later. Bye.